Welcome, I'm Moshe Ferber. And I am Ariel Munafon. And this is the Silver Lining Podcast, a podcast about security architecture. Welcome again to Silver Lining Podcast. Again, we have a special edition broadcasting from Cyber Week, the Israeli largest cybersecurity conference. And we are here today with Nir Waltman from Finestra, one of the largest fintech companies in the world. Nir itself, I know him for many years, being one of the leading application security architects and later on a CISO at various financial and other companies. And it's a great pleasure to have you here. Welcome, Nir. Thank you for the invitation. So how do you find yourself? How is Cyber Week? How is Tel Aviv? Cyber Week is exciting, amazing. See a lot of people, a lot of startups. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what, uh, what else is expected from the Cyber Week. Okay. You're located in Atlanta. Finestra is located in London. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your uh, global uh, traveling, and uh, what do you do for Finestra, and, what, and actually uh, what Finestra are doing. Um, Okay, um, I'll start from myself and, and then we'll expand to Finastra. So um, I'm in the field for uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years, if I can count it correctly. I uh, did you know, some consulting, uh, penetration testing, application security, and then expanded to, to other roles. Uh, my hobby is my job, so I'm kind of like security in general. Um, with regards to Finastra, I joined about uh, three months ago. A great company, quite big fintech, the third largest fintech in the world, actually. Um, formed about two years ago um, as part of a combination of, of a couple of companies. Uh, it was Mises and DNH. And, um, and I joined um, to lead the platform security uh, initially and uh, recently um, took a, an expanded role of a product and data security uh, ownership across the uh, CTO, CPO, which is P is the product. Yeah. So the chief product and technology officer, um, great company, great people to work with. Um, overall, very interesting domains to uh, uh, to address in terms of security. You say they love security. I think that uh, you are the first guy that I met that loves security. Pro- probably <laughs> the only one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. Uh, the entire world of fintech is interesting because of the different changes that is going in Europe and different standards that are basically forcing the banking to be more open. So th- I guess this is the where Finastra gets in and uh, this is where your big challenges are. Uh, yes. So um, one of the big challenges, especially in Europe um, and, and the UK, uh, there is open banking right now. And, and one of the things that banking... Uh, are trying to cope with is how do they take their back-end systems, can be a payment, it can be a retail commercial banking, it can be lending, mortgage, you name it, and how do they open those systems out in terms of APIs and allow third-party providers to interact with them? And by saying third-party providers, it's not that the fintech specifically needs to access this data, it's just because the fintech supports consumers that have the right to get access to their data. Um, and, and as of today, this is a big struggle among quite a lot of banks. Part of them develop that uh, that capability and expose the APIs. Others are still thinking how to do that. And um, I think one of the biggest challenges on top of that is how do you standardize open API? I mean, uh, as of today, there is no specific spec on what 
types of fields you need to have or what what is the format for that API. There is just a general idea of what you need to expose. Um, so definitely it's quite a big challenge um, uh, for, for the banks. Um, and the second thing that that uh, comes kind of you know hand to hand with that is with all of the with all of that requirement, how banks can actually innovate securely, of course, but how can they innovate with that platform? Because now they must open their APIs and they need to be able uh, cooperating with fintech companies. Uh, it can be universities and it can be developers from their garage. It doesn't matter. But how do they do that? Uh, I think these are quite big challenges today uh, with uh, you know a open APIs and, and uh, in the financial industry. Okay, so this is basically your offering. So tell us, let's dive in. How do you build a platform? How do you keep, a, which is built for, a, I don't know, for the most regulated industries in the world probably. And how do you keep authorization, authentication? How do you make sure that everything is secure? How do you create them? How do you make them trust you? Um, how do you build your, uh, your application in a way that uh, you, you can make sure that your engineers are doing something that at least that is uh, not so many vulnerabilities inside of it? I mean, okay. okay, you get the idea. A lot of questions. <laughs> I'm not sure that, that I followed all of them. Yeah, but you get, you get the main idea. I get the main idea. So uh, I think we'll start with, you know, how do you open the APIs? How do you build that platform for banks? So uh, the, the way that it works is, you know, banks not necessarily have the ability to open the APIs because when, when they have backend systems, uh, there are certain assumptions that are taken into place. For instance, it's behind, you know, uh, multiple firewalls and only specific IP addresses can access those systems. And if someone accesses those systems, it's probably an employee of the bank. And, and you have a lot of assumptions that you put in place. But then when you open it to the internet, there's a totally different world, right? You, you start with, you know, can anyone flood you with request? Who is the person who can, who actually accesses this information? Can that person access the information of everyone or can he access its own information? So these are the things that uh, the banks struggle with. And one of the things that we're doing at Finastra, this is, uh, you know, our slogan is the, the future of, of financial is open. Yeah. That's the entire thing that, that we're uh, uh, working towards. So. What we did is we built a platform. It's called uh, FusionFabric.Cloud. Um, and if we have developers here, uh, you, can, you can also go to developer.FusionFabric.Cloud and actually see the APIs. As of today, we have 61 APIs exposed through our platform. Uh, the, the way that it works is that our platform connects to the backend systems of the banks. We have a secure channel and you know all the, the greatest, uh, latest and greatest IT security controls to put that connection uh, in place. Uh, but then at the end of the day, since we have so many products uh, for banks, we know how to develop the platform against our products. And that means that we need to develop, let's say we have a payment offering. We need to develop it once to integrate with our products and then it fits thousands of banks that we need to connect with. On the other side of the platform, we have uh, the fintechs or you know universities, uh, anyone who can uh, uh, you know contribute to that ecosystem, and and so, so you, you look at that. There is a triangle of three parties. There is a party of the bank. There is a party of Finaster that provides a platform, and there is another party who actually develops an app on top of the platform. So we actually developed an app store. It's a marketplace uh, where fintechs can develop against our APIs, 
um, and um, and certify the entire product. Initially, they develop it against a sandbox. Uh, we have a demo data that we created against our APIs. They can play with that. They create the credentials, of course. Uh, we'll talk about credentials in a moment because I, I know that authorization may be a you know a hot topic. Yeah, yeah, definitely hot topic. Uh, and um, at the end of the day, when they uh, 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 promote their uh, application into our store. Then um, you know we have sandbox. We have eventually UAT and production. When they promote that, eventually the bank can get into the marketplace and uh, decide that he wants you know I don't know a peer-to-peer -peer payments application. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have the capability to develop this peer-to-peer -peer payments application, but now with the platform, the only thing they need to do is just to consent to that fintech to access their data, and then uh, they expanded their offering. So it, it fosters innovation. And enable security. One thing that I want I want to ask: uh, We talk uh, with Damir from the CSA, and they they, they talk about uh, trust. How banks can trust you, and how you are in the middle because also with customers and also from other companies. And how how did you make this trust? So based on conversations that it's a good question because based on the conversations that I had with uh, with our customers, banks that onboard into our platform. The conversation was never about security. It was always about a trust. Because one thing that we do is um, build a trust between Fenastra and the bank, and we provide that platform, and we explain them about all of the security controls that we have in place. But there's also an additional thing that maybe not many companies do, is how do you validate not the third-party risk, but how do you validate the nth-party risk, right? And the nth part risk is how do I make sure that not only I'm putting the right controls in place, but also how do I make sure that the fintech that onboards into my platform has the right controls in place? So we actually um, uh, announced about it about two weeks ago in our um, developer conference. Uh, it was it's called Fusion One. Uh, and in that developer conference, we explained about our application validation program. The application validation program is a program where we ask every application that tries to onboard into, uh, into our platform um, to decide on which validation bucket they want to, uh, to certify themselves with. They have certain options based on the access to the data. For instance, if someone just reads financial data, let's say it's an Alexa app, uh, the Alexa app, you can say, hey, Alexa, um, give me my account balance, or Alexa, can I afford buying a new TV? And it can say yes or no, but it will not necessarily access PII. In that case, you may go to the lowest level of validation, but then if you go to, uh, I don't know, if you access PII, or if you make payments, or if you you know handle financial data, then you, you will be eligible for only higher certification levels. Um, and that would be an advanced and premium. And those certification levels, just include more security controls. So the first one is, let's say, you know, like an FFIC type based questionnaire. Uh, we we enhanced it a bit. For instance, how do you manage your secrets? How many companies ask about how do you manage your secrets? Because eventually, this is not our secret; it's their secret. You're referring to application secret, just to put it in context. The application secret, yes. Mm -hmm. How do you store the application secret? Uh, do you have any vaults? Things like that that we ask in in enhanced questionnaire. Um, and by saying we, we engage a third-party company to do that. Uh, the reason for that is because we are not a security company. We're a financial services solution company. Security companies can ask the questions more thoroughly. Mm -hmm. 
Therefore, the next level, we have uh, static code analysis, we have software composition analysis, making sure that you don't have any third-party software vulnerabilities. And then in the advanced level, we also add some uh, code reviews and penetration testing. So at the end of the day, a bank, when he wants to go to production with an app, he will probably take you know the highest level because he wants some sort of validation to enhance the process of onboarding the vendor, right? Yeah. Basic validation is good as well uh, because you know we do some due diligence, but it may be a good thing for innovation, for instance. Um, again, few banks may feel that basic questionnaire is totally fine. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's pretty much how we make sure that the there is a trust between us, the bank, and the fintech. Okay, so basically the fintech also gaining from uh, it doesn't have now to uh, uh, prove that he's worthy to sixty thousand banks. He's only have to approve to be certified by you. Then he has connection to the different banks. Uh, yeah. It's not automatic. It's a good question. It's not automatic. So if a uh, with open banking and PSD two, uh, you must have a consent. It's part of the authorization, mm -hmm. uh, which is pretty good segue to authorization. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, so uh, from an authorization standpoint, every uh, application that is communicating with a bank must have a consent from the bank to access the data. Mm -hmm. But also, uh, there is a user consent if you're talking about, you know, uh, digital channels where, you know, you are the consumer and you want to allow a third party application to connect to your bank, um, then you also need to provide a consent to access your data through the, the platform. Um, we, we have, in general, we have three I'd say it's authorization flows mm -hmm. uh, based on two, two OAuth two, two OAuth two flows. OAuth two, the Federation Standard for Authorization. Correct. Just to make sure the context. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a B two B client, which means that it's a fintech application uh, that connects with the, with a bank, and they usually uh, get access not for a specific user, or they can ask a bulk, or they can uh, run some data analytics but not something that necessarily is, is uh, customer facing. Uh, let's say it can be an insights application on something that you know, runs some data analytics, which is a pretty common case. Um, the B2B authentication um, is based on the client credentials flow, which means that you have uh, a client ID and a secret ID, and then you send them and, and you authenticate. When you refer client, you mean the bank or a specific customer of the bank? Client ID and it? secret ID is sent by the application not okay. by the user, because okay. it may, we may not have a user. With with that flow, we're actually currently working on aligning with financial grade API by OpenID. So um, in the next release, we're actually gonna have uh, a private key authentication. Uh, it's gonna be much better. Uh, obviously we have you know all the claims that we're associating with that, but this is pretty much where we're going right now. Um, we have additional two uh, authorization flows. One is digital, where you are the consumer of the bank, and you, uh, like with Gmail, right, you, you connect an application with the, not Gmail, Google, uh, you, you allow an application, just say, hey, allow this application to, uh, uh, to access the data, and then you got it. And the last one, uh, and this is called uh, client authorization flow, which means that you have the key as an application, but then you need to get a login from the user in combination with that key and the scopes that you're allowed to get into and eventually uh, uh, authorize yourself. So OAuth2 is not really authentication for us. It's more like an authorization. We do not authenticate users. 
we authorize them based on their JWT tokens. Lastly, same flow, authorization flow. The authentication is done is done by the basically by the fintech or by the bank. Depends the, on the flow. The authentication. Yeah. So this is the last one. Mm -hmm. So if it's if it's a bank employee, mm -hmm. then they can be redirected to their login page, get the JWT token, and then we get the token back into the platform. And the only thing that we need to consume is one. Well, first of all, we obviously need to validate the signature and make sure that everything is secure, all the mm -hmm. best practices. But also get the scopes and see that they, they've got the authorization to consume a specific service. We do that in the application gateway layer, so nothing goes into any service or any bank before it's authorized by us, which kind of ties up to the additional security layers that we add on top of the back office systems. Uh, with consumers, it really depends what is the IDP they're connected to. It can be, you know, uh, let's say, the online banking uh, website of the bank, which is not the same IDP or identity provider for employees. Mm -hmm. Two different things. Yeah, but do you find a banking application that can redirect and give you a JWT token? I mean, the banks are equipped to this? Uh, banks don't redirect from backend systems. We just need to authenticate to their systems. It can ah. be a front-end system. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, banks need to have an IDP today to align with open banking and PSD2. So okay. it, it, we're building that on top of a requirement that already exists. Okay, so you're assuming the bank already has some kind of IDP. He is able to uh, produce a secure token. Doesn't really matter the format. Uh, he was able to uh, to give you uh, to authenticate himself and deliver you the uh, the token. Your job is to do the authorization behind the scenes. You uh, validate the token and then you decide what kind of authorization policy is relevant to that. Correct. And and the authorization policy is not only to which services you're allowed to access because you may be allowed to access let's say uh, payments, but you're not allowed to access mortgage or you're not allowed to access uh, lending, mm -hmm. right? Um, but on top of that, we check the authorization against the consent of the bank because you need to make sure that actually the bank gave you that consent and to which environment you can access. Because sometimes you're a tester and you just want to be uh, testing a UAT environment, but then you don't want to have the same tokens mm -hmm. on the production. So the bank actually gives us an explicit authorization to either UAT environment or production. And these are two separate tenants on our platform. Okay. How dynamic is this authorization? I mean, if you're talking that uh, the authorization is for all users is the same, but, but, but for the service, can the bank, for instance, decide that today he will not authorize uh, guys who are coming from different IP? I mean, they can change the token in some way and then you do a different authorization? So token tokens are not controlled by uh, not not controlled by us yeah. uh, a a common time is a matter, a matter of minutes until a token expires uh, mm. with banks mm -hmm. so until they get to the refresh token sometimes they may not be allowed to refresh their token based on a specific policy and then uh, we will not be able to validate that token which means that the user will not consume a service okay with regards uh, and you mentioned about locations, something about locations. Mm -hmm. With consumers, like you know, a phone, it's something that is a bit challenging to do with a platform. You can't really control which IP address uh, a consumer comes with a, with his phone. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side, if it's an if it's an uh, application, then I mean, if you ask me, do we have the capability to whitelist a specific uh, uh, you know IP addresses or locations? We have that capability with our uh, you know, WAF or uh, with our, uh, you know, API management. 
uh, a solution. But what we're working towards is something uh, you know much better because we don't want to restrict. I mean, it it is a functionality, but we don't want to restrict IP addresses. I think that you know as of today, fintechs want to innovate with microservices. They want to have uh, you know um, Kubernetes. They want to, they want to have uh, you know functions. How do you control a source IP of a function? Mm -hmm. You're the cloud expert. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. Uh it's that doesn't gonna happen. <laughs> it's yeah. not gonna happen. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so what we're looking at is uh, how do we do anomaly behavior detection mm -hmm. on top of those APIs? For instance, if we're, you know, if if you develop a, uh, uh, if you develop a, a a service, a you know, a code as a service or a function uh, on top of uh, Amazon, Azure, you name it, then we can we can look for patterns of you know how do you authenticate? What are the flows uh, that that you're going through uh, uh, while consuming the application? What are the loads? What are the payloads? Uh, things that can be abnormal uh, uh, when you consume those APIs. Uh, so I hope that makes sense. And yeah, how, but how do you do this in the bottom line? You you collect the data from all the APIs access. You drop it in some kind of uh, a BI machine, and then you try start getting insights. This is uh, the process. This, this is inside the, your application. You don't have any any external tools for that. Actually, we are working mm -hmm. with a. So I'll I'll split it. We did a uh, a POC uh, internally to see if we can detect those uh, anomaly behavior. Uh, we have quite good uh, data scientists in the company. So we ran this POC, it was successful. So it means that we managed to actually identify that based on our uh, API logs. All of our logs are written uh, to a central location. We can collect it, we can stream that. We, we are, we're heavily users, we have users of Azure um, and we have Event Hub, we can stream the events, we can get everything pretty much in, in live. We build the models, the way that it works is that you build a model, and then 20% of that you you know uh, you test, and then 80% you uh, sorry 20% you train, 80% uh, you just you know uh, enforce, mm -hmm. and um, and this is you know the thing that we successfully built. But then there is also a TCO discussion. Do we really want to do that by ourselves? Uh, and I know that companies can do that better than us. I mean, security companies, mm -hmm. that's what they do. That's their business. Um, and therefore, uh, we're uh, working with a third-party company, well-known third-party company, um, to uh, uh, to POC that capability. We already saw, you know, the demo. We saw that it, it may fit into our model, um, but we really want to make sure that uh, it actually works. Yeah. Um, the reason I'm asking is because uh, we know that there are external tools that can consume external logs, infrastructure logs, but always the, the, the logs that are coming from your application, it's always a debate. Maybe because it's my logs, I'm the best one of understanding them, or maybe there's a, another company that can do better work than what I do in order to uh, get the insights from this. Yes, but keep in mind that with APIs, uh, the application logs are not that custom as you know non-API logs. Okay. Uh, so, for instance, you, you know you're familiar with Azure. So, with Azure, they have OMS, which is essentially a central logging uh, a system. And we're uh, we're throwing everything into OMS, and and OMS is essentially you know gets everything. Mm -hmm. The same way that we do that through our streaming, uh, we can have an additional subscriber to the streaming, and the additional subscriber will see the same standard logs. 
I mean, we are, we're using uh, um, API management. Again, mm -hmm. it's a PaaS. It's scalable. It's global. We're not reinventing the wheel. We're utilizing everything that we can. Uh, and therefore, by doing that, the logs are standard. I see. Okay, so you use standard logs from Azure. You don't. Uh, it's not like an application log that you're responsible for the format and everything. We don't need to format everything. Mm -hmm. It's it's standard yeah, through the yeah, API yeah, yeah. gateway. I see. So you get the uh, Azure application, uh, Azure API gateway logs. It's not something that you invented. So you consume exactly. them and then you get insights from them. Exactly. Okay. Okay, so it's uh, th this platform is really integrated into Azure. We are, uh, yeah, we're quite big in Azure. Mm -hmm. uh, we use quite a lot of services from Azure. Uh, whatever we can do with uh, with a platform, uh, we'll we'll consume PaaS. Uh, we do have our databases there. Uh, we have a uh, you know the key vaults, so everything is you know managed uh, uh, secrets. So. Uh, even the authentication between the services is all managed AV uh, identities. So we really integrated everything into one platform. We didn't reinvent the wheel on anything except the business itself, which is what a fintech or like us <laughs> should do. We should not reinvent the wheel on security. Their practices, companies like Amazon and Microsoft, they are security companies. I know they're cloud provider, but they are security companies. Mm -hmm. Because infrastructures today cannot be detached from security. They exactly. go hand in hand. Exactly. So I don't think that any company like, or any company that is not Microsoft or Amazon or any cloud provider can make those investments as these companies. Mm -hmm. Therefore, leveraging is better than competing or you know trying to reinvent the wheel. Therefore, uh, you know we're just utilizing quite a lot of the security services that Microsoft provides. Okay. Um, because our next episode will be about secret management, let's give us a couple of words about, you, man you mentioned the secret management in two different aspects. One, uh, lately, uh, a couple of minutes ago, you talked about how you keep your secrets, Andrew Keyboards and all of this. And uh, previously, you mentioned keep, uh, secret uh, management when you talk to your fintech customers and you evaluate them. So one of the things you ask them is how do they keep their secrets? Correct. Give us some insights, the challenges in this uh, market, the solutions. Uh, so I think that uh, I, I took only a few solutions and, and put them on the drop down list. Uh, it says, tell me if you use a secret. I mean, if it depends on the on the on the authorization flow that they have, let's say it's a B2B where they actually need to store the credentials or keys, um, then part of that questionnaire we ask, Tell me if you're using any of these solutions as a uh, secret manager. It can, it can be the HashiCorp Vault. It can be a, it can be the you know, key vault. It can be the one uh, secret manager on uh, on AWS, etc. It's not that we're going to audit the the entire authorization to the key management and such, but the fact that a fintech utilizes a secret manager. It gives us an indication that they follow certain security standards that are not, uh, you know, only the ISO thing or only the the the, uh, the fluffy thing. They actually thought about security because it's not explicitly mentioned, you know, in, the, in every in, certification. In, in, in ISO, yeah, I, I totally agree. This is just a way to check how mature they are, how, how well they understand the platform that they are built in. The, yeah, it's like yeah. a probe. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, if a uh, fintech, let's say, it's a, they have the basic validation, right? Even in, even in that case, if they don't use a standard key management solution, they don't use a key vault, 
if they put other or I don't have this, uh, something something along those lines, uh, it just triggers an additional validation from our side. So if you're a fintech and you're listening, please use something. <laughs> please use a key management solution so we won't probe you. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. This is one of the challenges of DevOps and because we have so many secrets. I mean, we used to have secrets all the time, but lately with microservices and APIs and all of this, and we have so many secrets to keep and this becomes really a challenge. Indeed, mm-hmm. one of the biggest challenges, uh, you know, uh, you heard too many breaches where, you know, credentials were stolen. It can be client credentials, it can be, um, you know, uh, uh, like application credentials to other uh, resources. And this is, um, you know, this is financial data. So we need to do our due diligence to make sure that the nth party risk is reduced. Any other tip to uh, FinTech companies? Uh, the tip to fintech companies is oh, on this area. <laughs> I think the tip to fintech companies is um, I know that there there are a few uh, uh, regul regu- regulatory best practices. You can obviously follow the CSA. Uh, you can you can look at the FFIEC IT examination workbook and and actually see what they ask. Because at the end of the day, if you're a fintech and you work with banks, the banks will ask you about FFIEC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely work uh, with something that is more innovative. Uh, if you need to do the other certifications, definitely do that. Uh, but the, the more important thing to fintechs is uh, just stay up to date. Look at the, um, at the breaches. See, see what's going on in the market and what are the solutions. I mean, there is a reason why MFA become, becomes a big thing, right? Multi-factor authentication. Because things happen and, and people get the awareness that it needs to be there. Uh, so... Even here, just see the see where the market goes, see that you know for instance, what we're trying to do is to raise the awareness around secrets management and you know nth party risks. be aware that you know people start asking questions, so you should be ahead of the game, not in the back. Amazing. So what are your plans for the rest of the cyber week? Um, so um, I'm in the plenary sessions and um, have um, you know a few meetings here and there with the startup companies that I found some interest in um, so that's pretty much it yeah. enjoy the rest of the week and thank you for coming over here thanks for the invitation thank you very much you